Well, I'm always glad when you join us, whether in person or online, and especially, particularly, specifically, resoundingly, when you join us when we're starting a new series, and you see today that we are. So I hope you can make it each and every week. If not, that you can tune in, and we've got some good stuff to learn as we jump into Joseph and just looking at this idea of getting through this. This has been one of our biggest cliches, certainly in America, probably around the world, are we going to get through this? I think I can get through this. I hope we can get through this. And Joseph is a man who got through it. And I hope this will be something strong for us as a people formed in Jesus, as a community of faith, hope, and love here. As uh, Again, whether you're in the house or at home, just super glad to have you and tune in with us uh, today and as we go. We'll, if you brought a Bible and we took the Bibles from the church, they took prayer out of schools, took the Bibles out of church, we're creating a touchless environment for you. Uh, but we, uh, if you brought your own, you can turn to Genesis 37. For some of you that's tuning in on your digital advice, and of course, you'll focus in on the story only and not be receiving emails or tweeting on the Twitterverse or Instaing on the gram or facing on the book or whatever you people do. But we'll be in Genesis uh, chapter uh, 37. So Joseph, if you will uh, tune in to me now, but Joseph is, he's young when we meet him. He is gifted and I believe he's good looking. I told our earlier service at 930 that uh, at the end of the sermon series, I will tell you why I believe that he was good looking. But young, I think I can prove it biblically or looking into the story with a little bit of corroborating evidence. But young and gifted and good-looking, look, good his life is full of potential. Anybody feel that way? Don't raise your hand because it would be really the height of arrogance in church. But do you feel like your life is full of potential? Do you feel like you're sitting next to someone, young or old, there's some potential in them? They've got something. Joseph had something. He had that if thing. And adding to the fact that he was young and gifted and probably good-looking with all this potential, he had, hear me now, he had a promise from God himself. God, who always delivers on his promises, you don't, I don't, we don't, but God does. God had given Joseph this promise that he would use him in a remarkable way. Now, he didn't know it at the time. That's the thing about following God, right? He didn't know it. We're able to study his life in the rearview mirror in retrospect, but Joseph didn't know it, but he would go on to reign next alongside Pharaoh of one of the greatest empires in human history. Not only that, but he would be critical in f helping shape the world in a global crisis. In a global crisis. This story, written so long ago, it's for us today. If you're at home, in your pajamas, stay awake. God's got something for you today. Joseph, all this promise, not only was there a global crisis, but he had a series of personal crises uh, as well uh, in his life. You English majors can email me at robert.green at founderchurch.com. But he had a crisis after crisis in his personal life. Is that true of some of you? It's true for a lot of us. As a pastor, I get a front row seat into some of your lives. It's an honor and it's a weight that we feel. But the, in addition to what's happening globally, there are things that are happening personally. For young Joseph, atop of, on top of the global thing, there were sudden, dramatic, and unexpected crises in his life. He was abandoned. He was beaten. 
He was a part of a dysfunctional family. Anybody part of a dysfunctional family? Again, don't you dare raise your hand. He was sold into slavery. That's bad, 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 bad. No one would sign up for any of that. So if you're like me, when you go through a series of bad things, you kind of call it, right? You're like, we've been doing this for the whole 2020. Well, it can't get any worse. We got to, I mean, 2020, that's it. That's the last straw. Well, you know what? Apparently we don't have the say in that. Have you noticed that? When change comes, I don't get to vote for it. Neither do you. It just comes, it just, it's just foisted on us. That's the world that we live in. And Joseph, just when he thought it was going to get better, he's falsely accused. He's wrongly thrown into prison. And maybe most painful of it all, he's forgotten by the very people that he had helped. Anybody feel forgotten? Like we are relational creatures. Even when you go to jail, even when you go to prison, they put you, the worst of the worst is in what? Solitary confinement. Could you imagine the confinement of being forgotten about by the people that you loved? Ever felt used? Ever loved somebody and been there for them in time of need, but then they forgot you? More than just a little, oh, they didn't send me a thank you note. But you've been forgotten, and that is Joseph in this story. So in these weeks, an interesting factoid for you, I told the earlier service, Joseph, of course, in Genesis, he's devoted, it is devoted Genesis devotes 13-ish chapters to his life. That's pretty significant, more than anybody else in Genesis. Here's a factoid. Who's in Genesis? Noah, Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But it's Joseph who's given the most airtime. And from Joseph in these weeks, we can learn and we're going to learn about wisdom. We're going to learn about integrity. You think we need some integrity in the world today? You think homes need, you think businesses and churches and politics, you think we need some integrity? We're going to learn about wisdom. We're going to learn about integrity. We're going to learn about endurance. We're going to learn about pride. We're going to hit that pretty heavy today. We're going to learn about selfishness. We're going to learn about family dysfunction. Some of you are like, "Woo, I'm going to tune into this series because I got it at the house. We're going to learn about, I think chiefly, about resilience. Romans 15.4 gives us this promise. Some of you may ask, why, why kick it back to old school? Why go to the Old Testament? Why go to the beginning of human history to learn? Romans 15.4, if you need to know, tells us, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Does anybody need an extra quotient of hope today? Read, here's an assignment from your beloved pastor, read the rest of Romans 15 later. It says some really groovy things about hope that we need. And hopelessness has anchored itself in many of us. But these things were written so that we would have hope through our endurance. Hanging in there, Galatians 6, 9, don't grow weary of doing good. Hang in there, don't quit. And that endurance, when you stick to it, that endurance combined with the instruction and the example from old will help you. It's like having one writer, a pastor named Wayne Codero says, it's like having divine mentors. Joseph, if you'll let him, will be a divine mentor in your life. And I believe that your hope will increase. That's my goal today, okay? I may not hit it. I'm asking the Spirit for his help that you would leave today with an added measure of hope in your life. Would you be open to that today? Resilience is the word. Though we'll learn about wisdom, integrity, endurance, and a lot of things, resilience is the word. The dictionary defines it this way. This isn't in the Bible. This is in Webster's, Daniel Webster, who was a devout Christian. He wrote this at resilience as a noun. It, it means when you're able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Take a snap of that. Lodge that in your brain for this whole series. Are you resilient naturally? You know, some people aren't. 
the slightest wind direction or change in vari- variation or barometric pressure, the, the, the first sign of something changing in the environment, of a situation going south, they're freaking out. They're, they're people that are like, whoa, what are we going to do now? And, you know, we need resilience. You need resilience. And if you're leading something, you need resilience. Would you pray for me that I would be resilient? So let's jump in to the Genesis story of Joseph. There'll be a good bit of reading, so fasten your seatbelt. We'll break it up a little bit, and we will uh, bypass some verses. But for those of you who want to follow along and dig deeper, Genesis 37 to 50 is the story, and you can keep us, the teaching team, honest as we preach through this series, if you would read it. Uh, Genesis 37, 1 to 4, the first four verses, I'll read it. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Now look for family dysfunction. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpha, his father's wives. There's your first sign of family dysfunction, multiple wives. Men, can you say amen? And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that Jacob, loved Joseph, his son that he had in his old age, more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Jacob bought Joseph a Gucci coat. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. I was after hiking the Colorado Trail this week. I spent a couple of days with good friends in Denver. We walked around the city. I parted ways to go into a 7-Eleven. And when I was standing in line to get some calories, some unhealthy calories in me after the hike, I had a big gulp in my hands and some unhealthy snacks. And a fight broke out at 7-Eleven. And these people were not able to speak peacefully. When you're hating somebody, what happens? You're, you can't speak peacefully. So do you see dysfunction? Polygamy, that's a dysfunction. Okay, just so you know, uh, some of you are warming up to the Bible, the best-selling book of all time. You've got questions and criticism. They are welcome here. We all have doubts and we all want to learn more about its depth and, and complexity and understand it. But polygamy is described in scripture, not prescribed. Okay, God's way smarter than that. So we see the dysfunction there and we see the dysfunction of a parent choosing a favorite. Anybody, you have multiple kids. Have you ever selected a favorite? And I don't, I mean, I said this at 930. I'm probably going to get in trouble later today, but I don't know if it's wrong to have a favorite as much as it is to tell people that you have a favorite, right? I guess we've had some favorites in different seasons. Wesley's somewhere in the house, our youngest. So he's our favorite now as the other two are off at college and likely not to be podcasting the service uh, this weekend. So Wesley's our favorite. But look, I don't know again, seriously, is it, is it right or wrong to have a favorite? It's certainly bad judgment to tell them that you got a favorite. And that's what happens here. And so jealousy rears its ugly head. But we see in Jacob, young 17, gifted, potential and promise from God, but we see a tattletale, we see him proud, and we see some dreams in his life. Any dreamers, thank God for dreamers. I believe when you have a healthy group of leaders around a table, you have dreamers and you have doers. And the dreamers keep things moving forward. They, they, they understand mystery and romance and life. And Jesus came to give us an abundant life. And then doers keep the dreamers out of the ditch, right? They 
punch the numbers and tell you what you, you know, the cost benefit analysis and all that. And we need both. But if there's any dreamers in the house or you live with a dreamer or you're trying to live with a dreamer, you'll be inspired by the story of Joseph. Let's pick it up at verse five. We'll read five to nine now. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Bad call, Joseph. And let me just say, I don't know what's unique possibly to you or what's universal from this, but it can be bad to tell your dreams to people too early. There's something to say, something to be said for letting it marinate and percolate under the surface, hold on to it, process it, pray with God, maybe a trusted friend or so. But into this family comes this dysfunction. Verse six, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. This is Joseph himself. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. He's got an agriculture dream and an astronomy dream. Verse eight, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Ooh, it's getting ugly now. Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. It wasn't that you had the dream, you told us your dream. And you look good in the dream, and we look less. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. So, mistake. Sharing his dreams. Telling them of them. Do you know that when you talk and talk and talk, bad things can happen? Anybody know that? And some of y'all are probably like, you seem like you talk a lot. So I'm, I'm talking to my tribe now. This week in the sports world, I watched Fox's Skip Bayless give an opinion on Dak Prescott. His opinion was Dak Prescott should not have told America that he suffers from anxiety and depression. And has been really down because he lost his brother. You know, he lost his mom, cancer, in college. Where did he, he go to school? Oh, yeah, Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah. Skip Bayless went off on deck, sign of weakness. Just talk, talk, talk. Now, if you have a sports talk radio show or you aspire to one, let me give you a hint. Sometimes, if you don't have anything to say after news and statistics and analysis, just play music. Music's good for the soul. A lot of words is not good for the soul. I've been on both ends of that. I've committed grievous sins in this regard. But he just kept talking and he gave an opinion. And can I just say, if you battle anxiety and depression and you're moving forward, you are my hero. And you are not, I mean, it's, it's weakness made strong. And if you tell people and to the extent that you move away from private pain into public and tell people about it, you gain strength and you give other people strength. But it's when we talk and talk and talk that we get in trouble and talk radio is made for that stuff. Some of you look, listen to some praise music on your way to work. Be careful with the level of talk radio. Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28 is written for people like me and maybe some of you and for Joseph at this time in his life. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Here we go. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. But Joseph didn't hold his tongue. Fasten your seatbelt. Here comes a long stretch of scripture. We're going to pass over some verses to start at verse 19 and through the end of Genesis 37. Follow along with this story, uh, if you will. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Mockery, derision, sarcasm. 
Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. Do anybody feel better about your family now? Just a little bit uh, better? But when Reuben heard it, he comes out of nowhere. He rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Reuben has a plan. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand or restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brother, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. There's a whole lot of pits in the Bible. You too. Y'all know you too? They wrote a song from Psalm 40 about being lifted out of the pit, out of the miry clay. There was no water in this pit, verse 25. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Don't you hate it when that happens? Coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Trade route, commerce. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. That's what you did back then when you mourned. And returned to his brother and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Man, this is hatred, isn't it? This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. They did not have the forensic crime scene investigation that we had today. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Liars. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Dysfunction, jealousy, hatred, favoritism, rivalry, deception, darkness. Suddenly, dramatically, out of nowhere, this is foisted upon this young man, Joseph. But God had given him a promise. Let's be clear about something. I can't think of an example in the Bible or an example really in real life where this is the story of God's working. Okay, stay with me for a second. This is, not the, this is the non-cheery part as if that was cheery. God gives you a dream. You're young and you have a really almost perfect family, wonderful family. God gives you a dream. You hear the dream clearly. It's a singular dream. You don't have to have one about agricultural astronomy, just a real easy to understand dream. And you hear the dream, you understand the dream, you act on the dream. Everybody supports you in your dream and it goes well. That's just, that's a story we may want when we put ourselves at the center of the story. But here's, here's God. Here's something that reflects God. I want to say this over you this morning. God's got to get rid of some stuff in your life. God has given some of you a dream, and he has a plan for all of our lives, but he's got to get rid of some stuff in you. 
famous story that I bet many of you have heard about Michelangelo. He laid out marble. He was he put it in front of him. It was um, one young lady after the 9.30 added to the story. She had been over there to see this with another friend at our 9.30 service and told me that this marble was uh, trash. It was secondhand and wasn't thought to be the best, but Michelangelo had it out in front of him and people asked him nearby, what, what are you doing? And he told him, I'm going to I'm going to carve out King David. This is what I see. They didn't see that. How are you going to do that? And he famously said, I'm going to chip away until the only thing that remains is King David. So stay with me for a second. Ephesians 2.10, some of you know it, for we are his, for we are his workmanship. We are created to do good works. Your life is not your own. It is for a bigger purpose for a grander vision for a broader reality that God has and you are his workmanship so doesn't it stand a reason that God looks at us this is my view of God that he looks at us and he wants to chip away and chisel all that doesn't look like Jesus in us and so what needs to be removed from your life what is it in you now that's getting the best of you? If you're at home with your family or friends or you're here with some people around you who love you and know you, that's the key, know you, they could probably identify that stuff. Self-awareness may be the best leadership trait out there, and it may be the thing that's so lacking. Are you aware of what is keeping you from being like Jesus? Are you aware of the work that God wants to do and what needs to be removed for God's plan for the dream to be lived out in you? And God wants to chip away and it will involve some pain and it will involve some discomfort. Now philosophers debate endlessly. Does that mean God causes it? Does it mean he allows it? My answer is both, but ultimately he is sovereign. And so pain and discomfort can come your way in order to chip away at your life, to, to remove what needs to be removed. So with Joseph, all of this potential and this promise from God, but what is it? He's self-righteous. He's a tattletale. He's proud. And it's that that I want to talk about today. For God to do a work in you, what preparation needs to be done? Some of you are waiting and you're frustrated. You, you may be wanting to quit. I wanted to quit so many times I stopped counting. But God is saying about that promise, not yet. Do you know why? I can't pretend to speak into every scenario, but I would say because you're not ready. I'm ready, I'm ready, pastor. I'm so impatient. Where is God? You're not ready. God knows when you'll be ready. And can I tell you that pride is a big one. It is a massive one. And we're going to look at that in just a second. I want to talk about two things in Joseph um, in the last part of this message, the first is, write this down, it's resilience. We've already looked at it, resilience. And the second is pride. Resilience, what did we, what's the definition that we looked at? It's being able to withstand or bounce back from, recover from difficult conditions. Here's a photo of a 2002 blockbuster movie, Black Hawk Down. Did you guys see this? This is... U.S. soldiers who were on a peacekeeping mission in Somalia. There's a scene in the movie, if you saw it, you may recall it, where there were U.S. soldiers in a Humvee, and out of nowhere, enemy fire just, I mean, it just comes up, just starts mowing them down. And you're thinking what really happened, because it's Hollywood that's based on a true story. What happened in this scene 
you're thinking nobody's going to make it. And there's a soldier who cries out. I would cry. I'd go fetal and call for my mom. The soldier cried out, hey, I've been shot. I can't drive. And this is not a sermon illustration about compassion, but the colonel says, everybody's been shot. Get in and drive. And you see, there are times during a crisis or multiple crises where everybody is hurt and everybody is wounded. And we need leaders, women and men, who will get in and drive, who won't say, I'm wounded, I'm going to sit this one out. Get in and drive. Get in and lead your family. Get in and reconcile that relationship. Get in and lead in a world that's full of needs. There are so many needs. Again, when I was in downtown Denver, capital city of beautiful Colorado, Every, um, not every, but many stores, many government buildings boarded up, boarded up. I went into an independent bookstore that was boarded up. They were open. Y'all know how I feel about local independent bookstores. I went in, took my friends in, went to the bookstore, talked to the manager. I said, when do you think these boards, you're open, but it's boarded up. That's strange. She said, I think they'll take the boards down after the election. Well, we are hurting We need people who won't be wounded on the sidelines, but people will step in amidst all that's flying that will get in and that will drive. Get in and drive. Get in and lead. Get in and do something about the injustice in the world around you. Yes, you're hurting. That's the very thing God can use. Hurt drives compassion. Get in and drive. James 1, 12 says this about resilience or in the half-brother's words of Jesus had brother, in his words, endurance. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Endurance, resilience, stay the course. Listen, we're in a battle. Does anybody believe that? We're in a battle. I'm telling you, the nation is on edge. And the media makes it worse, far worse. Take that in small doses. We know about 10 friends. They're blissful. They are blissful. You know what they're doing? They're not watching any news. Now, they're getting some facts from some important government agencies on their phone. They're just facts. Facts, you've heard this, statistics go to the head, stories go to the heart. But the fear and the unhappiness, I mean, oh. But listen, it's happening in our world. People are on edge and we are in a battle you're in a battle Ephesians 6 tells you and I as followers in Jesus man strap it on gird up put on the full armor of God and it tells us a little bit about this I spend time in the morning in ritual if you will in prayer visualizing the armor of God it's the breastplate of righteousness the belt of truth having your feet shod with the gospel of peace the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation. Put on the full armor of God so that you can endure, so that you can be a resilient person. We need you to be, if you're a leader at Fondering, we need you to be a resilient person. I'm beseeching thee to be a resilient person. Second thing beyond resilience. And I want us to talk about Joseph's pride because I want to talk about your pride and mine. You know who the last person to notice their pride is? You. 
You're the last person to know your pride. So when it comes to dreams, some of God's given you a dream. You at home, God's given you a dream. In the balcony, I don't think God's given y'all dreams in the balcony, but God's given, I'm just kidding. God has given us dreams. God has given you a dream. And one of the big reasons that we're not ready is because we make it about us. So everybody from 2 to 92, like the Christmas carol says, this is for everybody, but especially if you're a young person, we wrongly ask, what part might God play in my story? How can I fit God into my story? Instead of, what part can my little life play in the grander scheme of God's story and mission on earth? Those are so fundamentally different, but if you, if you come from two different places, you're going to end up in two different places. Not God, how can, and you know, we have things today, and I love them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be partially critical for a second. Hear, hear me, all of me here in this, but we have the Enneagram and the Strength Finders and the Disc and uh, the Myers-Briggs and all these, and, and I love them, and they help us build team and relate to each other. And Y'all know I boast about being a seven and blah, blah, blah. God loves sevens more than the other eight numbers. But, but you know, whether you're a seven or three or two or eight or one or what, whatever it is, we start with us. And this is me, and so I, God can't do that because I'm this way. He's made me this way. So I'm, and we limit ourselves, and we wrongly put ourselves in the center of the story. And that's what pride does. Don't do that. In the South, now when we here installed cameras this summer, we had some folks from, we have some folks all around the country watching our services as they are friends uh, with you. So not everybody is a Southerner that's listening uh, to this message. Any non-Southerners in the house? You're not from the, the deep South? Anybody up here? Right, where are you from? California. California, there you go, right there, showing some love there. So not everybody's Southern. Shake your head up there if you, if you recognize this, but in the South, we have an expression for people who battle pride. We say that someone is too big for their britches. You ever heard that expression? Never. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. <laughs> ever had catfish, hush puppies? Yeah. They're also saying no, the California people. I've, we've gotten her accustomed to life here. You're too big for your britches is a uniquely Southern colloquialism. Pride is the chief of all sins. Isaiah gives us a sneak peek into way back when. And Satan himself says, I want to be God. I want to be with God. I want to be God. The enemy, your enemy and mine, thinks he can be a better God than God. You know who else thinks they could be a better God than God? Me and you, way too often. I can't tell you, I think it comes with age, and being in a city for a certain season, but often Susan and I will have friends come over, young people, and they'll sit on our couch. It's free therapy from time to time. And they'll tell us about when they rushed God's plan. When they had a dream and then they, they, they thought they can be a better God than God. And so whether it was sexually or financially or in some relationship, they rushed it. And that's what pride will do. And so we have to be careful. It's the original sin, and it's a sin that inflames all other sins. I'll show you a photo quote here from uh, when I was in college, the Space um, Challenger took off and it exploded, as many of you know. 
And I had a roommate at the time who had a girlfriend he would marry whose father was one of the top engineers at NASA. When the shuttle exploded, they could not talk to their father for days. He was sequestered with people probably in black suits and briefcases, and they were being questioned. And one of his cohorts said this after it, months after. NASA fell prey to the oldest and most basic sin, pride. We had become too successful. We had gotten by for a quarter of a century not losing a single person. All of this success gives you arrogance. So how do we stay humble? How do we grow that in us? How do we fight pride? How do we let God chisel away this terrible virtue that will keep you from the dreams that God has for you? Anybody recognize, uh, it's probably not the best picture, uh, as his face is a bit covered. This is a golfer who just, man, he, he showed up big on the PGA Tour. Can you recognize him? Jordan Spieth. And he was asked recently after a Masters, he was asked, what keeps you grounded? And he said two things. My relationship with Jesus and my relationship with my sister Ellie. And this is Ellie, who I think neurologically, she's not only diagnosed with autism, but it's a, probably a more uh, severe um, cognitive um, distortion in her. And he looks to her for his inspiration. And so when he's winning and making his millions, he has someone right there embodied that he loves and lives for. And he looks to her. And the life of his sister Ellie keeps him grounded. We need to stay close to need. We need to love. And we need to be with people who love us, who remind us of what really matters. If all your friends are in a rat race, running over people and scurrying to accomplish, you you will become a proud person. But he has, Jesus and his sister Ellie in his life. What about you? I don't have time. I told the 930 this. I don't have time to tell you of all the things God has done to humble me and ready me for whatever mission he asked for me. And look, I'm kind of older. Would you agree? Yeah, thank you for not. Thank you for the non-response. But he's got so much in store for me. So much in store for me. But he's humbled me along the way. This was me in 11th grade. I had a crush on Katie. And I wrote her this letter. This is the actual letter. Katie, penmanship's never been my strength. I said, Katie, you know I have a crush on you. Will you go to prom with me? Circle your answer. But I had, I had so much swag, I only gave Katie two options. Yes or definitely yes. And this is one of the reasons I was drawn to Katie. I'm so happy with Susan now. But back then, it was Katie for a short, fleeting season. But look what she did. She circled the word no in my word no. See what she did there? I did not give her that as a viable alternative. Just yes or definitely yes. was really hoping that this would get circled. But she circled no. You and I, man, we need pain. And we need discomfort. And as much as it hurts to say, we need rejection. We need doors to close. And each time they do, we're reminded that it's not about us. 
that we're part of a bigger story. So this series, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to get up and go, Joseph, 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 yeah, Joseph, hero, hero, hero. He was a hero. You know what I love about Joseph? He was one of the few people in the Bible who finished well. Like, do you know that not many people finished well? Joseph finished well. Who wants to finish? Raise your hand if you want to finish well. It's going to be how you're remembered. Some of you made some grave mistakes. Some of your sins are they're holding over you right now, and guilt has grown to shame. It's not the final you. But are you living your life in a way that you will finish well? Some of y'all lived in y'all lived such a way. I try not to look at you when I'm preaching sometimes. But God's not finished with you. And you'll be reminded. That your story, and I chose my words carefully when I was writing this sermon. How does my little life fit into God's bigger story? Some of you during COVID, look, the the virus is going to defeat some of us, but fear is going to defeat a lot more of us. What are you afraid of? That points to your pride. And it's going to limit the work that God can do in your life close with this. In fact, stand so you know I'm closing. If you would stand, we're going to sing in a moment, but this is George Frederick Handel. He wrote Messiah, and within Messiah, he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus. He was a failure. He failed and failed and failed, and then he failed some more, and he met Jesus. And he encountered Jesus and he said, no matter what I've been through, God is with me. That's the great story of the gospel, that God is with me and he can redeem it. He, he, it was like sudden dramatic. He was no longer afraid to die. He was no longer held back by all that he had failed in. And he composed this song and everybody around the world knows when you hear the hallelujah chorus, it lifts you. You feel invincible, the joy and the freedom. You don't have to anything to be afraid of. And so when he debuted Messiah, the hallelujah chorus he said i'm not going to do it in a church i'm going to take the little money that i have and i'm going to rent out a theater and invite people and the first night 700 plus people came look around the room if you will this sanctuary holds about 750 i think we could cram 850 or 800 in here if there's not a virus and it was christmas eve or easter or something look around i mean that's the he, he the place was packed the place this size a theater this size was packed for 30 nights in a row it was sold out. And on the final night, King George and his aristocracy was on the front row. And at the end, he stood up, standing ovation, and then he bowed in reverence. And it was noted that he said, even a king is humbled in the presence of the living God. And what's great about this guy with his funky looks is that he knew of 142 prisoners that didn't get fair treatment. Some were wrongly accused. None could pay their debt. And this is what Jesus does. Be ready if you're going to really follow Jesus. Because this guy was in Matthew 25 and it talks about this. And so he took all the money. He broke the bank to rent the theater out. He took the money, all the money that he made. And he worked to give legal representation and ultimately freedom to these 142 prisoners who needed to be set free. Your life is not your own. If you're just dreaming about you, stop it. But when Jesus gives you a dream, he's going to delay it. He's going to tell you you're not ready because of all your stinking pride. 
and the stuff that I don't even know about that needs to be chiseled away from you. And it will take time. When, Pastor, when? I don't know. I don't know. I am not God. Not yet. Whoever needs to hear that today, not yet. You hold on. You be resilient. You don't give up. You practice endurance. Hold on. Not yet. God will do his work. I better stop preaching. Y'all are standing. Let me pray over you and then we'll sing together as Lauren leads us and the team. God, thank you for today. Lord, let us dive in. Thank you for Romans 15, 4. These things of old were written for us today so that we, through our endurance and the instruction that it gives us, that we would learn by their example. So in these weeks, with wisdom and integrity and selflessness, I pray that you teach us about a man who was living and experiencing the stuff that we are experiencing globally and personally. Jesus reigns supreme in your people. In you we pray, in Jesus' name.